This is Kendra Connor, worship leader at Christ Center Church, and you are listening to Christ Centered Cast. Go ahead and turn your copy of God's Word tonight to Luke chapter 11. Luke 11. I'm going to give you a second to get there because tonight it's two verses. So if I start right now, chances are I'll have read through them before some of you all are able to get there. So Luke chapter 11. It's after 10 and before 12. Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 27. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you, and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Let's pray. Father God, tonight as we look at your word and we look at these verses, these two verses, I think we're going to find as we look at them that less is often more when it comes to your word. And Lord, we thank you for the simplicity of your text and the times where the message is very simple and it's right there. And God, I ask that you would just use your word tonight to pierce our hearts, to challenge us, to change us, that we would allow your spirit to work in our lives so that we would be more like you when we depart. And it's in your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray tonight. Amen. So, if you've been in school long enough, or were in school long enough, at one point or another, you probably heard a Yo Mama joke. And apparently there was a tablet, I found an article, and there was a tablet that was discovered about uh, in 1500 B.C., which may be known to contain the world's first Yo Mama joke. Turns out this particular tablet tablet, this ancient Babylonian tablet, was likely written by a student, proving that 35 centuries ago, kids were making the same crude jokes that they are now. It turns out a 3,500-year-old tablet discovered in reading the article, uh, discovered in present-day Iraq, might have been the first ever Yo Mama joke written on record. The ancient tablet was uncovered in 1976 by an archaeologist named J.J. Van Jink during an excavation. Unfortunately, the original tablet went missing, missing, but luckily, Dejink left a copy of what the tablet said and a description of what the translation on the tablet reads. Dejink asserted that the tablet featured very careless writing, which is what led him to form the hypothesis that this was written by a Babylonian student. Scholars Michael Streck and Nathan Wasserman studied the tablet and published their research and translations in the journal Iraq, put out by the British Institute for the Study of Iraq. There are half a dozen riddles written on the tablet. Streck and Wasserman call the tablet an example of, quote, wisdom literature, unquote, which means that the riddles and metaphors are meant to express short and sweet truths about life. The humorous tablet was written in Akkadian, a language spoken by the Babylonians, in a cuneiform script. The researchers explain that discovering a tablet with content like the one Dejink found is uncommon, Quote, this is a relatively rare genre. We don't have many riddles, said Wasserman. While some don't exactly translate well into English, it's pretty evident, though, that there's a form of a Yo Mama joke on this tablet. As it turns out, one of the most classic disc jokes of all time has been around since 1500 B.C. And I'm not going to actually read to you what that joke was because it's not exactly entirely fit for uh, this particular setting. But suffice to say, these kinds of jokes have been around a long time. You've probably heard them. 
either in real life or in movies, television, somewhere, you've probably heard a, a joke, a your mom joke. And growing up as a kid, uh, there was an understanding in the schoolyard that talking about someone's mom was fighting words. No matter what a person said to or about someone else, the ultimate besmirching was to insult another person's mother. And most of the time, even today, bringing up another's mother is ground that should be tread upon lightly. Those of you who are married know exactly what I mean. There was a time, though, in Scripture that we'll see tonight that someone decided to say something about Jesus' mother in front of a crowd, no less. And as we look at this particular text tonight, we see in chapter 11, uh, we find in the context or midst of Jesus drawing a crowd where he's casting out demons and chastising the Pharisees, in the midst of these teachings, a woman in the crowd with apparently good intentions calls out to him to offer a kind version of your mom. And as we'll read it, look at the text again, and then we'll dive into what's happening there. Verse 27, again, as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So what we have here in chapter 11 is Jesus is teaching. He's casting out demons and he's talking about the difference between what he does and how uh, the Holy Spirit and, and demonic spirits are different things. They represent from different places. And he talks about someone who is possessed and has a demon cast out, but then has the demons come back. And there's uh, principles that we're not going to discuss tonight that are there in Scripture. But imagine, if you will, while you're there in the crowd, get it, really capture this idea of being in a crowd, in, in the midst of this crowd who's gathered around to hear these teachings and witness these things, in the midst of this crowd, someone calls out to Jesus. Now you're in this crowd, and this is most likely not a quiet crowd. Because if you've ever been in a crowd before, in a stadium or at some kind of a concert venue, or even just really waiting in line somewhere where there's a large number of people, it's generally not the most quiet place. And yet, above the din rises this voice of this particular woman that we see here in the text. And while he's doing these things, this woman, uh, she, it says her, she raised her voice. I guess maybe that's Luke's nice way of saying that she yelled out. She yelled above, above the people that were there. I was telling uh, my wife about this earlier, and she made a throaty noise. And I was like, what are you doing? And she said, well, she probably did that to get his attention. But suffice to say, she gets his attention, she yells out over the crowd, and this is what she yells to him. She says, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. Now we might read that and go, well, okay, that's kind of strange to hear yelled out in the middle of a crowd. But what she's talking about here is she's actually placing a blessing upon, or essentially saying that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was one who was favored by God. Because that word blessed there, as we, as we look at this text, we need to understand that sometimes blessed is, is more accurately translated happy, as we see with the Beatitudes and things. But in this particular context, that word blessed is, is more accurately rendered favored. So she's saying that your mom is a favored woman because she gave birth to you. And she places this idea of the importance of where favor and ultimately God's favor comes from as being her connection to Jesus. Because she gave birth to Jesus, she must be favored by God. And there's almost a sense of longing in her words. Like, 
were I one who could give birth to a son or a man like you, then I would have or know God's favor. That's the implication here in the text in the original language. But that she pronounces this blessing or this favoring upon Mary to Jesus in front of everyone. And it's really interesting here, as we talk about this idea of favor and the fact that she pronounces this blessing upon him or upon Mary to him, he initially, it looks like, corrects her. He says in verse 28, blessed rather. Now we look at that and we go, well, maybe he's just checking her verbally. You know, it's almost like a really nice clapback by Jesus. But he says, rather, that's not exactly where favor and the Lord's favor comes from. And the way in which this is presented, and there's, it's only this word there that's used there is only translated four times in, I believe, the New Testament. Now, that particular phrase doesn't necessarily mean as opposed to, but it's more like with improv comedy. It's that idea or concept of a yes and. Because that's the rule of improv comedy is that you don't, necessarily, you don't say no or contradict what someone shares or states, but rather you, honor, you acknowledge it by saying yes and, and you build on it. And I believe that's actually what the translation is saying here, where Jesus says, yes, my mom did have God's favor because she was chosen to give birth to me, the Messiah, the Son of God. But her favor was not simply found in giving birth to me. That's what he implies here as he continues in the text. He says, rather, favor and God's favor is for those who hear the word of God and keep it. Those who hear the word of God Keep it. In fact, there's even another place in the Gospels where Jesus is in a house and people come in and they say, Jesus, come on out. Your mother and your brothers are out there and they want to see you. And he says, actually, my, my family are the ones who hear the word, hear my word, and they keep it. And they hear the Lord's word and obey. So in the midst of all this, this, this happens. A shout out in the crowd. And I think sometimes in life we chase God's favor because we don't always understand it. We chase it wrongly. Because we don't always understand what it means. Like this woman, she's misguided about where God's favor comes from. She assumes that because Mary gave birth to him, that she must have some kind of special favor with God, or privilege with God, or she must be looked at differently just because she gave birth to him. And he, yes, ands. And he says, well, maybe she was a little bit favored in that she was chosen, but true favor, God's favor, comes from Hearing and doing. Hearing and doing. So what, as we look at this text, and we look at this story, and we look at this little snapshot of Jesus' life, we, we think about some of the ways in which we confuse God's favor in our own lives. Or we look at someone else's life, and we go, well, they must be special to God, because he's doing this or that with them. But he's not really doing this or that with me. It's almost like we're saying, oh, only if we could give birth to a, a person like you, Jesus, then we would be blessed, then we would have your favor and I think sometimes we have wrong thinking about what, to, what it means to have God's favor. And one of the ways that I think we, we mess up sometimes or we're misinformed about God's favor and how to get God's favor is we think that just saying the right things is the way to earn God's favor. If we just know the Christianese or the right jargon or even we simply just tell people that we're going to pray for them even if we'll probably forget and don't really have any intention or we just know the right words and we can navigate the Christian culture in the context of the church and, and various activities and events and outings. 
or we can even tell someone who doesn't know the Lord all the special Christian things that they need to do because we tell them salvation is just this, 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 this. And if you follow all of these little statements and it's said exactly this way, then you know you're saved. There are a lot of different ways that we can say things that we think are the right way to say things. And we think that God is impressed with that. We may even say that God is our Lord and that we follow Him and that we love Him, but then our lives don't reflect that at all because it's just mere words. And I think it's interesting that when Jesus talks about favor and He talks about what it means to be favored, He always says it's a matter of hearing and doing, but I don't ever hear Him saying that it's a matter of saying. It's hear and do. But we think that we can curry God's favor by saying the right things and by knowing the right language and by navigating the Christian life in such a way that we are impressive to others and we hope that we're impressive to God and we think if we're, we just live that way, if we just say the right things and present ourselves the right way, even if we live differently, that somehow God is going to be impressed and we're going to get His favor. Thinking that the right things or saying the right things is the way to earn God's favor I think is one of the mistakes that we make when we think about what it means to, to be blessed and to have the favor of God. I'm wondering if this woman, as she shouted this out in front of the crowd, wasn't hoping that the right people would hear her say this. And that she wasn't maybe hoping that just having Jesus hear her say this would in some way make her life more blessed or that she would get God's favor just because she said the right things. But we do it too. We do it too. I think that's one of the ways that we mistake God's favor and we chase God's favor in the wrong way. Another way I think that we, we, we miss out on God's favor, we fall short of God's favor, is that sometimes we think that just knowing Jesus is good enough to earn God's favor. We think because we, we're saved or we're born again or we know the Lord that we're good. That, that God's just going to be happy with that. Like that's just good enough. Now, it is good enough for salvation, yes. It is good enough to avoid hell and it is good enough to spend eternity in the presence of God. But I, I wonder, I doubt highly and strongly based on what Jesus tells us in his word that it's good enough for God to look on our lives and go, well done, faithful servant. Because I think God's favor is, is different than that. You know, you look at relationships with families and fathers and sons and mothers and daughters and fathers and daughters and mothers and sons and all those different relationship dynamics. And your family, you may be estranged in some dynamic there. There are families that they just don't get along. But that doesn't change the status of those members of the family, even if they don't have a great relationship. The father is still the father, and the mother the mother, and the children the children. And even if they don't ever talk to each other, nothing changes that. But just because they have that title or that status in the family doesn't mean that they're all getting along and there's a good relationship. And we can accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and become believers and still not have a great relationship with God, even if we are His children, and He is our Father. So just knowing Jesus, I don't believe, is good enough to earn God's favor. Just being somehow associated with Him or connected with Him, I don't think, earns the favor of God. Yes, He wants us to know Him and to be saved, but He wants an ongoing relationship with us that's reflected in us hearing and doing. So again, it's a very simple passage, yet it's very profound as well. 
I think those are probably the two biggest ways that we mistake God's favor and how to go about getting God's favor. Is if we know him and we know Jesus Christ is our Savior, he loves us. We're born again. That does, in fact, change our status and make us his children. That, however, does not guarantee a relationship where we have favor with him and we're getting along with him. So what are the solutions to those those situations where I think we fall short and we mistake what it means to get God's favor. Because as Jesus pointed out to this woman, it wasn't just about Mary giving birth to him. Just because she knew him wasn't really the most important aspect of their relationship. And the implication that Jesus says here is it's not about the fact that she gave birth to him. It's about the fact that she heard the word of God and obeyed it. Because that in Scripture is what qualifies us for God's favor. So what are the solutions? The first solution I think we see in Scripture from Jesus is knowing that we have to get beyond trying to impress God with our words and deeds. We have to get beyond that mentality. Yes, we serve God, but we shouldn't be serving God to try to impress Him. Because He ultimately is not just impressed by the things that we do. He is impressed and we earn His favor by our relationship with Him, which comes through hearing and obeying. We look at Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, and we're going to do something that we haven't really done in this particular series at all, and that's refer to other texts. I've tried to really keep it dialed into where we are in that specific text, but these are the words of Jesus, and he's talking about the same thing in these other places, and I think it's important to look at them. So we look at Matthew 7, so uh, turning over to Matthew 7, a couple gospels over, in verse 21, he kind of gets at this idea of those who would try to impress God by what they do and what they say. Beginning verse 21 of Matthew 7. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name. And do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. We have to be very careful about trying to earn God's favor by just doing the right things, even if they're well-intentioned things that are for him. Because he wants more than that. He wants a relationship with us, and he wants us to hear his word and obey it. He says in that passage, the one who does the will of my Father. And we know the will of the Father is to hear and obey. And sometimes we, we, we forget that. And we think that just saying and doing the right things is good enough. And that because if we just say and do the right things, then God will be happy. He'll overlook the other stuff in our lives. He'll overlook the disobedience. He'll overlook us disregarding his word and what he's told us that we need to do. And he'll just, uh, we'll get a pass on that because we're over here doing all this awesome stuff for him. And everything is great when that is not at all what the Word of God says about how to get the favor of God in our lives. We have to get beyond trying to impress God with our words and our deeds. That's how we get the favor of God in our lives. We get beyond that. We get to obeying. The second thing, I, solution that I see to this problem of us mistaking how to get God's favor is we have to know that God's favor is found only in coming to Jesus Christ 
hearing his words and doing them. Now pop on back over to Luke chapter 6. So we were already, we started in Luke 11. We're going to go back a few chapters, five chapters, to Luke 6. One of the interpretive principles of Scripture is that you interpret Scripture in, you, in light of the context in the passage, then you look at the context between the different accounts, and you look at the context in the chapters, context in the book, then context in the genre. And you keep it tight that way until you go, you work your way out in order to determine the meaning of something. So we know this is the same gospel written by the same guy about the same Jesus. So we know that we can interpret these two passages in light of each other with a lot of confidence. Luke chapter 6, verse 46 through 49. Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood rose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. So Jesus there, five chapters earlier, gives this illustration of a house, one that's built on the rock, a solid foundation which is reflected in coming to Christ, hearing his words, and doing them. The other house, or the other life, because we're talking about two different lives here, the other life is not built on that foundation. It's not built on Christ. It's not built on hearing his words and doing them. Maybe it's built on good works, or it's built on trying to impress the Lord in other ways, or it's built on a, a good Christian vocabulary that fools people into believing we're closer with God than we are. Maybe it's built on any other number of things that are not coming to Jesus Christ, hearing his words, the word of God, and living them out as he's told us to do. Jesus draws this comparison between these two lives. And when we look at this passage, and we go back to 11, 27, and 28, Jesus says, it's not that Mary, my mother, gave birth to me that makes her favored by God. What makes her favored and what makes all of us favored is rather hearing those who hear the word of God and do it. So when we take those two passages and smash them together, we can see the favor of God comes from coming to Christ, hearing and doing uh, the word of God. And we know that that's a correlation to life. And how we live life. We want to have a life that's favored by God. We go, why am I going through life and it doesn't seem like God seems to be particularly happy with how things are going with me? Why does it seem like so-and-so-and-so-and-so-and-so-and-so are experiencing this or not experiencing that? And I'm, I'm struggling right here. I don't understand what's happening. But we don't stop and think about the fact that maybe, just maybe, we're struggling in life. We're having a difficult time with the floods and the storms because we're not walking with Christ. We're not hearing His Word. And we're not doing it. Because it's those things that give us the foundation to be, a, to be able to stand up against floods and storms. That's a favored life. A favored life is not having the house that we want or the car that we want or the job that we want or the family that we want or all the different things that we think are somehow God showing us favor. That's not God showing us favor at all. He, he actually gives rain to the righteous and the wicked. That's in no way an indication of where you're at with God just because things are going well or you have what you want. 
we see that God's favor is reflected in a life that's unshakable, no matter what happens. So we see that now. We see that that's Jesus' message here, that the, the, the important thing in life, the most important thing in life to have God's favor is hearing and obeying in our relationship with Him. So we have a choice to make. We have a choice to make tonight. What, how, what do we do with this? We, we have favor redefined. Now we know what it means to have God's favor. What if we choose not to accept that? Because you have a choice to make in your life. Just because I said it doesn't mean you have to believe it. I would encourage you because God's word says it to believe it. But even still, you have your own choice to make about that. So let's say you choose not to accept what God's favor is according to God's word, and you want to just continue to do life your own way. Well, the, the byproduct of that, as we saw with Jesus' illustration, is that you're going to miss out on God's favor, and most likely your life is going to be a mess. Not necessarily your circumstances, because those are not what we're talking about here, but how you process your circumstances. Whether your life is unshakable, because it's irrespective of your circumstances, the storms come and go, the waters rise, and the flood comes and recedes. But the true question is, how does your house hold up? Because if you don't have God's favor through hearing and doing, your life is most likely going to be a mess, and you're going to know it. Even if, even if you try to hide it, there's still going to be water in your basement even if nobody goes downstairs. But what if today you heard what God's favor is and you know now? You understand what it means to be favored by God. The true favor comes from hearing God's word and doing it. Well, then you can know what God's favor is in your life. And it really has nothing to do with what anybody else is doing or what God is doing in their lives and everything to do with whether or not you are hearing God's word and obeying it. Well, if you choose to do that, you will receive God's favor. Your life will be unshakable. No matter what comes, no matter what happens, no matter how terrible it is, yes, it will hurt, yes, you will struggle, yes, you will cry out to God in dependency because that's what He wants you to do anyway, to depend upon Him, to have a relationship with Him. You'll lean on other people, hopefully other believers in your life who love you and that you love as well. But ultimately, even though you might feel weak, you will be the strongest because you have God's favor, because you are hearing God's Word and you are obeying God's Word. And even though it seems like everything is falling apart, you won't be. That's God's favor. And no one knew that better than Jesus Christ. As he went toward the cross, which in chapter 11, he's on his way toward Jerusalem as we read that. So the question is tonight, as we get ready to wrap up here, do you want God's favor in your life? Actual God's favor. Not the external stuff that we mistake for God's favor, but God's actual favor where he looks upon your life and he says, yes, that's my family. That's someone that I love and I know loves me and that I, I walk close with. Well, it's very simple how we get there. Jesus said it in the couple of passages that we looked at tonight. Everybody bow your head and close your eyes. first thing that Jesus tells us in Luke when he talks about the house that stands in the floods 
is it? God's favor is found in first coming to Christ. You, only you know tonight whether or not you have accepted the Lord as your Savior. You've asked Jesus Christ to forgive you for the sin that goes against the Bible. Only you know in your heart whether or not you are born again. Only you know whether or not you know Jesus. And I want to encourage you tonight. And if you've never prayed and asked Jesus to forgive you for your sin, and you've never given your life to him, you've never said, Jesus, I want you to have my life. I will live for you. I will hear the words that you tell me through the Bible, and I will obey them. If you've never made that choice, tonight, I encourage you to make that choice in your heart. And with your mouth to pray to him those words. And if you do that, I want to encourage you to reach out to myself or someone else uh, with the church who's a leader with the church because we'd love to walk alongside you and to pray with you and help you to get access to tools that will help you grow in that relationship and that will help you hear God's word and obey it. So we see the first thing is to come and you need to, to make that choice and that commitment tonight if you haven't already. The second thing we see in that passage is we have our, our heads bowed and our eyes closed is it's a matter of hearing God's word. I want to encourage you to make a commitment tonight that if you're not regularly hearing God's word by reading it or listening to it or interacting with it somehow, that you're going to do that. That you're going to seek what God says to you through his word in some kind of regular Bible reading or listening plan. And I want to encourage you, if you're going to make that commitment tonight, to again talk to myself or one of the leaders because we can give you resources and tools to help you hear God's word, to internalize it, to know it. And then lastly, it's a matter of doing it, of living it out. If you're, if you're struggling with what it means to apply the words that you've read or heard, I want to encourage you to seek out myself or one of the other leaders or somebody else that you know here in the church who's a mature believer that's growing. And let us walk alongside you and help you Look at ways with your own life to practically live out what God's word says for you and how to obey it. But tonight I want you to make that commitment. Come to Christ first if you haven't. And then if you have, if you have, make a commitment going forward through Easter that you're going to find ways to hear God's word and then that you're going to live it out practically as you have the opportunity to share Jesus Christ with others. Father God, thank you so much for the simplicity of your text, for the times that we see these snapshots of your life, and that you clarify your truth in simple ways, yet profound ways. And I pray tonight as we take away the truth from your word, that ultimately true favor is found in hearing your word and doing it, that we would seek to apply that to our lives. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice as we continue to move toward the cross. And it's in your name we pray tonight. Amen. God bless as you go forth to preach, teach, and reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. Check back next week for the continuation of Me Evangelism. God bless.